This is the Big Box PC Game Collectors Podcast for April 5th of 2015. Joining us today we have KG, Pascal, Joel, and Joe from the Origin Museum. In this episode we discuss FMV games, arguments for and against sealed PC games in your collection, and how we feel about the recent trend for reboots and sequels. I brought uh, Gabriel Knight to The Beast Within, which uh, is probably one of my favorite uh, venture games of all time. Um, I played this in college. A um, buddy of mine, my roommate, and I'll have a little story to tell, but I'll preface this with their story spoilers, so if you think you're going to play this, um, you may want to mute me, because <laughs> in order to tell the story, I have to reveal a major plot point. But anyway, me and my roommate were playing this game when we were supposed to be doing homework religiously in college. And uh, the game is, starts as sort of a uh, basic kind of mystery role-playing game. And, uh, you know, then there's this one moment uh, about three-fourths of the way in where it really hits you in the stomach <laughs> and hits you with some really gory... Um, uh, sort of dead body kind of stuff and uh, me and my roommate were so uh, freaked out at it because we were so into the game that we um, we had to go take we had to shut it off and go take a walk around campus because <laughs> it had freaked us out so much but um, if you haven't played this game um, definitely pick it up it's one of the greatest in my opinion probably the very greatest of the entire full motion video um, uh, realm. This is not my original copy because, like an idiot, I threw away the box. But uh, I've since replaced it, and you'll see that it does have a on six CD sticker on the front because that was a big selling point back then for some reason. But um, that's my game, Gabriel Knight Two. I def- definitely agree. On, definitely agree on that. Is one of the best um, FMV titles ever released um, because I think they are more bad examples for full motion video games than good ones because I guess they, they really lack you know, what, what's criticized most about full motion video games that you're limited in interaction and, and stuff like that, or interactivity and, and stuff like that so the games are not that complex puzzle wise or so but Gable Knight 2 was completely different I think it was really it was very well done it was you know, good actor somehow it was great puzzles it has a great story um, I, I really enjoyed it a lot, and, and still do, and it's still still playable. No? It's still enjoyable. Really I'd like say the only close probably its equal would have to be Wing Commander Three. If you had Sierra and Origin on the same on a parallel track, I'd say Wing Commander Three is about on the same level as uh, Gabriel Knight. But um, Gabriel Knight edges it out for me personally as probably the greatest. Totally agree, and that is. KG, I guess you mentioned Tex Murphy, right? Did I hear uh, that? Right? Yeah, I, I know. I know you're a fan. You're a fan of the series. Uh, okay. I, I actually have very ambivalent feelings about, about it because I don't like the sort of what some people love about it is that dissonance between the the humor and the slapstick and the occasional surrealism and the noir setting. 
and that's exactly what I find great to get uh, great against me. Um, I particularly found that when I was reviewing Tesla Effect, which is kind of what reminded me of my ambivalence towards the Tex Murphy games in general. I can't argue with the sort of fun value and skill, but mm -hmm. yeah, that that's that distance doesn't really work for me. But I think it does work for you. It does, Tex Murphy. I, I, if you're talking about the humor in, in Tex Murphy, it, it definitely does. And I think it was the last one was a great example that it still works today. I mean, the last Tex Murphy game was great. It was not so great technology-wise that you, you saw that they were really limited with, with money and, and technology or so. But the story was still Tex, Tex Murphy-like. The humor was great. It was, it was playable. I, I really enjoyed that one. So FMV is still, still a topic. Well, but talking about seven. Skills, I like the I fact that it worked. I like the fact that it had the Tesla effect. They actually used 2K video because uh, I'm one of those assholes who actually has a 2K screen, and I really appreciated having the Ultra HD video uh, video quality, even though they were limited on their production budget. Right. It's uh, the thing. The thing that makes it hardest to go back and play even the even the best of the Golden Age FMV games is you will be stuck with tiny video windows frequently. <laughs> Which makes it wonderful that uh, a lot of the fans have actually gotten together and worked out those types of details. There was a DVD version of Wing Commander 4 that was only available when you bought a specific type of video card. The Wing Commander fans went ridiculously out of their way to adapt all of that high-definition video to the original game, so you can actually get on fan sites as well as GOG.com and download the DVD version of Wing Commander 4 for a very small amount. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the guys actually did Wing Commander Prophecy DVD, which was never released. They actually found the film footage, adapted it, and got it to work in Wing Commander Prophecy, so you can get a DVD version of the last two games. That is nice. I, I still have some some mixed feelings about Seven's Guest. I mean, remembering back then definitely was a, a great game technology-wise. I was really blast. Like you know, like like Joyce said, it was was I guess it, it was the first game, or it said it was the first game that came on two CDs, and that that stuff was awesome. And uh, technology-wise, the, the video quality and that on on PC back then was really nice to to look at, but. Gameplay-wise, puzzle-wise, I think it was not really so. It, it really was. The puzzles were challenging, but if you stuck at a puzzle or so, that was really something which, which I was not able to deal with back then. And the story was nice, the setting was nice, but but the game elements were like a bit. And I think this is something you see today. The, the question I have is, if it's some sort of game still works today, and they they try to Kickstarter Seventh Guest Part Three. And they failed due to a lot of reasons, but the main reason I think is you have the kind of game play in, in, in app games, in, in iOS apps or so for like a dollar or two dollars, you know, that, that kind of puzzle games. So nobody will really give you again the budget for a full complete game um, which has some, some puzzles in it, I guess. Not sure. I, I think they marketed their Kickstarter quite badly because yeah, I probably that, would have gone for that. And uh, I didn't, and I didn't know about it. I think that I, 
really, yeah, it was, it was an interactive movie that strung together a bunch of puzzles. As I say, that has subsequently birthed the genre, birthed the genre and I've whiled away many, many otherwise unhappy commuter journeys playing Professor Layton games and so on. So I think there is still a place for a bunch of puzzles strung together with a vague narrative. Um, I don't think it necessarily needs to be a filmic, a, a filmic narrative, and that does, as is, uh, although at least you don't have the kind of limitations when you're when it's in, when it's a, a way of stringing together some puzzles. You don't have the limitations of trying to have adventure game style puzzle solving in it, which is where a lot of FMV games felt like they were horribly on rails. I mean, we've named the good ones, but there were a lot of very bad ones. Not mm -hmm. Like, um, I mean, for example, uh, the horrible one is uh, the eleventh hour itself, which um, I said that I really liked the seventh guest, but um, probably one of the biggest factors against uh, his Kickstarter that he tried to start was the fact that eleventh hour was so bad. And it was just it was like a horrible movie, and it wasn't a it was a retread of the seventh guest, and you had to sit through these really long, terribly acted cutscenes and. Um, I think that was like a uh, um, that was a game that just killed that entire franchise if they wanted it to be a franchise. I think something that's quite interesting when it uh, is that the way star power was drawn against. Because for, um, I mean, Tim Curry started doing a lot of voice acting at around the point where he started getting voice uh, getting talkie games and FMV games. And I haven't got this running yet. I've just got a Win ninety seven virtual machine that I'm hoping will uh, set up that I'm hoping will get it. Running. But I've got this, which is uh, Frankenstein through the eyes of the monster, which is quite obviously going to have Tim Curry chewing the uh, chewing the scenery, which is, which is never a bad a bad thing in my book. Yeah, Tim Curry uh, ch chewing scenery can't go wrong. And I got this in a batch in a batch I did a, I did a trade for with one of our members, and nothing huge, nothing is, hugely bad. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, KJ, but yeah. there's some, some good one for our later discussion point about remakes and so, because if I think about Gabriel Knight and Tim Curry, so there's no chance that you can have that in a remake. Uh, oh, that was going to be one of my, one of the remakes I was going to talk about. We're going to have to fight for this one. Uh, but, yeah. So is that Frankenstein, is it a good game? Have you actually played it? No, I was saying I've, I've just—I think I've just got a virtual machine set up that will play it. But it was in that really awful Windows 95 era, um, which is—I uh, mean, the hardest thing to uh, hardest things to play are sort of Windows 95 through Windows ME games. If it had NT compatibility, you're much better off. But um, yeah, so, uh, uh, and you can tell this is going to be a quality product because they—they—they they, they basically are shifting a lot on Tim Curry's star power here. Tim Curry of Rocky Horror Picture Show and Congo fame, comma, stars in this classic, uh, uh, it, oh god, yeah, this is horribly punctuated, stars in this classic monster tale reborn with a wicked twi twist. You are the monster. Now that's what I call a wicked twist. So it's Pascal. Really, it's not really a twist if they give it away on the back of the box, is it? No, it is a wicked twist. Wicked twist. I, I will report back on my progress with it in the future. <laughs>
uh, what do you guys think about sealed games? Uh, I know several of us own sealed games, and um, I am usually, um, I have a hard time opening a sealed game um, for multiple reasons, um, mostly because uh, there's other avenues to play the games, so in order to play the game, I don't really feel the need to have to open it, and the other thing is, is uh, throughout time, as long as this game exists in a sealed state, I know that everything that needs to be inside that box is in the box. Like, nothing has flown away and gotten lost. So, usually, unless it's something I'm just dying to play, um, I'll usually keep my game sealed. What do you guys think? I completely agree with you, Joel. Beyond, beyond measure. I try to keep a sealed copy and an open copy of every game that I have whenever I can. There are a few that I don't have sealed copies just because they're so ridiculously hard to get. But you nailed exactly the way I feel about it. If, if the box is sealed, I know for a fact that everything that's supposed to be in that box is in there. And there's something about having that new store quality on your shelf to say, this is exactly the way it was the day I walked into Electronics Boutique or Babbage's or any of those old game places that you go to. Egghead, my gosh. I, I almost lived in Egghead software for about a year. But, uh, yeah, I totally agree with you. I respectfully disagree. Um, this is partly because um, I, I mostly have games that I bought new and then unwrapped and played or was hideously or played for five minutes and was hideously disappointed by but most of the games I actually have ones I was dedicated to I still whenever I play an Ultima I go to my copy of Ultima 6 and I get out my Orb of the Moons and I have it with me when I'm, pl when I'm playing um, I, I, I use the feelings the feelings are very much a part of my gameplay experience and, they, and even if I have a copy on uh, GOG uh, I, I, it doesn't. You know, having PDFs and so on does not replace having those um, having those feelings in particular. And if you're into second-hand games, uh, for example, the SSI AD&D games, um, I think there have been some nice manuals, some nice copies of the manuals done. Although I've yet to see a, pr a proper re-release. Um, those de uh, them and Wasteland and so on depend on the manual for you to get your plot. So sometimes feelings are actually essential for playing the uh, for playing the game. Also, I've got an example here. It's the only sealed game I, I own. I'm sorry, I know we're the big box group, and this is an NES game, but I don't. I, I, I saw it about ten years ago when a shop was closing down, and it, the sealed this, the wrapping can deform boxes. So this is a copy of a sealed copy of Maniac Mansion for the NES. I, I don't. I hate this game. I I don't really collect Nintendo. I've just ended up with this, and I can't quite bring myself to open it. But here you can see how the box is starting to deform due to the pressure of the wrapping. And that is a problem with particularly flimsier boxes if you keep them sealed. I'm sure this is of great value to someone and part of, uh, part of the trouble I have, I have with uh, is this should go to someone who properly collects these, either a, Lucas, or either a Lucas collector or a Nintendo collector. It doesn't belong with me who, while it's a useful example, I, give real, I put place relatively little value on it. But Anyway, that's why I think sealed sealed games are really nice in that you can for the fact that you can open them and be sure that when you get them and be sure that you have all the stuff. But keeping stuff sealed, uh, 
no, I try and look after after my games in terms of temperature control and keeping them clean and so on, but I'm not hugely into keeping them sealed. Toys are to be played with. Have a, I mean, my wife will tell you that. I have sort of a psychosis um, when it comes to packaging of things. Um, yeah, I collect I collect a lot of things. I collect a lot of things other than just big box PC games. I collect action figures. I collect comic books. I collect um, Star Wars memorabilia. I collect it all, right? And I just, as a graphic designer who I work on packaging a lot um, in my job, so I have this special attachment with uh, um, graphics on packaging and boxes and neat boxes and stuff, and there's just something about um, having <laughs> the shrink wrap on that box to me that just um, just accentuates the coolness of that package. I know it's like it's shiny, it keeps it protected, it, you know, the um, sealed boxes don't typically get scratched up as much. Um, I don't know, maybe it's just a weird me thing that that I uh, just love boxes and packaging so much, but um, if I can play the game in another way, then I'm fine just leaving it, just leaving it sealed most of the time. So what do you think, Pascal? I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings about that. I'm, I'm not so into sealed games at all. I mean, it is nice to have sealed games somehow, but I'm a bit on... In my perfect collector universum where only my rules apply, I would have, of course, both. So I would have a sealed copy and an open copy of each game I have in my collection. This, this was would be the, the maximum out, out of, uh, for me, I guess. Um, but in, in the real world where we have to decide uh, space-wise and money-wise, um, I'm not so crazy about sealed at all. First of all, prices are insane. Ne? If you try to collect every sealed game, if you start today and try to collect games and looking into sealed ones, it would kill you. It's, just, it's insane how prices have increased there. And that is the one thing. And the other thing is I like to, to open the games and look into the stuff. I like to try the floppies if they're still working on, on my old system. I like to install the games. I like to go through the manuals, especially, as you know, my I'm deeply into Sierra. Sierra has so many inserts, documents, needful stuff and not so needful stuff and funny stuff and pictures and references and and additions whatsoever and I like to go through all that kind of stuff and it means more to me than having a sealed one in my shelf. I can put it out and show you and say hey look at that I have a, I have a still sealed box of whatever but I'm not so into how to say um, I don't care what others think of my collection it's my collection and my games and I like to to use them, like to open them, go through them, remember something. If I see something on a new game and say, hey, I have seen something familiar like that, what was it? And I look, go through my old boxes and find a game where some familiar happened before and so, I like that kind of stuff. So I guess I would prefer opened ones before sealed ones. But there are, there are some expectations, some games I have in my collection, um, especially with Sierra, and um, the boxes were not very, not sure if they're not very well made or so, but 
take um, Quest for Glory 4, Shadows of Darkness, as an example. I love the Quest for Glory 4 box. And the thing is, you're not able to find a box in good condition. This is this box has so many shelfware all the time if you find it. it. It was, I do not know why, but if you find it, it's always in bad condition. So having a sealed one of that, so the box is really as it should be, that that would be a very nice addition, and I would looking forward uh, to that one. And it so, was really kind of flimsy, the cardboard it was made of compared exactly, to the other types. Exactly, and, and the, the it was like all out-of-sleeve cardboard. Exactly, exactly, and and that would would something where I say, okay, there few games at that point make sense, or some of the games I really liked a lot. So so my my favorite games, I'm somehow try to find a sealed one for that as well, but in majority I don't care that much. I like to have the games, um, but I like to open them and, and look look to the content and read some menus. If you, I definitely don't like seek out sealed games. Like whenever I'm shopping around on eBay or looking around, I don't um, just search for new sealed stuff. I consider it like a bonus. Um, like if I'm going to buy a game, uh, I've gotten burned so many times on like every little piece of ephemera not being in the box. If I can find one that I can confirm is a new sealed game, then I'll, for a good price, or even if it's a little more, the, the little more uh, cost is like me paying for peace of mind of knowing that I'm getting a complete copy of the game. Um, which brings up another point, which is how do you know, and me and Joe have talked about this before, how do you know if a game that you're buying is actually sealed or if or it's resealed. resealed with shrink wrap? And I have an example here of a game that I bought that I can confirm is actually sealed because there's sometimes there's tells. Um, this is a sealed copy of Eye the Polar 2 that I know is real because I bought it in a store myself. So, And you'll see this weird-shaped sticker down here that shows up on all these these games. Um, I bought a sealed copy of Eye the Polar 3 on eBay recently, and I think you can see it, but there's a haze on the box that's the same shape as that weird sticker. I don't know if you can see that haze right there where that sticker fell off. So I know that this is real because that sticker was on here at one point. So there are little tells. Um, I like sealed games that have little holes torn in them because it um, means it's probably a little older than um, if it was just newly pristine shrink wrapped. But um, uh, definitely I'm very wary of any shrink wrap game I see on eBay because, uh, you know, there's no telling if it's real or not. Yeah, I've been eyeing up a shrink-wrapped copy of Ogre from uh, that a seller in Germany has, and uh, it's it's shrink-wrapped looks a bit looks a bit wrong to me. It looks like it's a complete game, and if they were, and it's a good price. If they were just selling it as an open game with all the stuff they say is in it, then I would have gone for I would have gone for it quite sharpish. But it's that re-shrink-wrapping that actually puts me uh, puts me off an other uh, game that I would otherwise go for, which is quite strange. I don't know. I um, have a few games that are sealed. Um, I just, uh, it's not something that I, I really seek out. It's just, just kind of a nice little bonus, you know. I mean, what, what I really like today is um, if you buy a game today, you most you, you easily get the digital version as well. 
because sometimes you get both, um, especially if you talk about Kickstarter or so, all these projects have digital versions. If they offer a boxed version as, as an additional bonus or patch level or so, you definitely have the digital one. So for that kind, I keep the, the version sealed as well. You know, the, the boxed games I buy today in, in Germany, um, I mostly keep them sealed as well because you get the digital one or you get it later on on GOG or on a Steam sale or what Excuse me? But what about the feelies? Yeah, um, that is another thing. That is, I guess it's an own topic because there's still so nice inserts today as back then. I mean, if we talk about game releases like, yeah, where, where do I have them? Uh, normal DVDs. I mean, uh, today you can be happy happy if your DVD is in a in a cardboard box still, ne? but normally you get this not so nice DVD cases and what's in it a manual and maybe a poster and maybe a soundtrack CD and that's it. You mean there, there's no not much space left to put. Admittedly, I am thinking of sort of Kickstarters that that promised big box uh, big boxes. Uh, Wasteland came uh, came with some stuff, didn't it? Right. Wasteland 2, rather. I I didn't have uh, have the that level of Kickstarter. I mean, especially for adventure games, you have I put that out of my shelf here. Um, Memoria, the collector's edition. I mean, there's a lot of of additional stuff in inside that one as well. Um, but I keep those sealed too. So days I buy today, I I keep them sealed. And but I don't care for, for the old ones, to be honest. From the sort of dying, it's sort of one of my favourite adventure games, and it's from the and it's from the uh, dying days of the uh, the uh, the sort of 90s adventure game genre. Um, it was an un it was a brilliant game. It's really tightly plotted, and as I mentioned in the Facebook group earlier, it's sort of uh, uh, my choice for an uh, for well, if if people are discussing Easter games, it's kind of an anti-Easter game. Because um, it's based on a book called uh, Holy. Uh, well, part of the plots. Uh, the plot's based on uh, on sort of Christian mythology in much the same way some of the Broken Sword titles were. Um, but it's uh, based on a book called uh, Holy Blood, Holy Grail, which uh, which uh, which holds that the uh, Merovingian line of European of European royalty that's descended from Christ, which kind of makes it an anti-Easter game in that it presumes that Christ was uh, Christ never died, which is about as un-Easter as you can get. So that's my topical theme, but um, disregarding which mythology it's used, and the entire Gabriel Knight series makes excellent, well, really solidly researched use of whatever mythology it does explore. Um, 
this is just a fantastic game. It gets Tim, it gets Tim Curry back, and he's one of my favorite, oh, one of my favorite voice actors. You have, um, you have a nice solid range of material in the box, even though it's a, la a late day uh, adventure game, including uh, the comic books that we all come to, have all come to expect from the uh, Gabriel Knight series. Um, it also sort of brings it, uh, touches on our our uh, theme of uh, big uh, big name movie actors because you've not you've not just got uh, you've not just got Tim uh, Tim Curry uh, you've got Rene Auvergnois who uh, probably most people know as Odo from Deep Space Nine uh, he um, he appears in this uh, as a surly French taxi driver if I recall correctly uh, which was uh, great and. Uh, yeah, it's um, you don't you don't have Mark Hamill back as Mosley, unfortunately. But the cast the cast is stellar. The game is absolutely fantastic. It's a really tight adventure game, and I can't speak highly um, highly enough um, highly enough of it in terms of depth of research. And um, I think the graphics are actually pretty good for the time. I mean, they look fairly primitive now. You're you're talking sort of early 3D adventure game modeling. But they're sufficient for the task. I mean, I prefer the in many ways I prefer, um, of the three Gabriel, uh, original Gabriel Knight games. My preference is actually for the rotoscoping on the first title, rather than either the FMV or the three D modeling. Although I think what's interesting is that between its three installments, the series shows uh, shows the uh, evolution and development of the ways in which you can present an adventure game. All we're, all we're missing is a text adventure prequel. So. Yeah, it's not particularly rare, but it's absolutely one of my favorites. It's funny. Um, after finishing Gabriel Knight 2, um, which is one of my favorite, probably my favorite adventure game of all time, um, or one of, I should say, I eagerly sought out the third one. And um, I remember playing through that game and enjoying it. Um, I remember thinking that the whole game, that the game was more obtuse than the previous one, and the puzzles were, uh, I vaguely remember like a, like a mustache and a cat and blue in the mustache and <laughs> thing. You know, it's like this, these weird sort of puzzles where you kind of have to randomly click items around to see if you could um, get things to work. Um, I also remember there not being a good or a really great like horror payoff at the end of it like there was in the second one. Like I kept waiting on that kind of punch you in the stomach um, moment that, that just never really never really happened in that game. I think it definitely counts more as mystery than horror. I mean there there are there are there is, I, I think rather than being a horror series which often gets mischaracterized at, the Gabriel Knight series is obviously a mystery series, but also a sort of global mythology series because of the because of the way it's spanned and again because as I said the depth of research in it but yeah I can I can, I can see how, uh, how I mean I'll come clean I've not actually played Gabriel Knight uh, Knight two I just recently got hold of a copy my my prejudice against FMV was that strong that I didn't play the second installment in the sequel to what must have been my favorite game of the 90s so you know I'm being re-educated thank, thanks to a special program put out by the Big Box Gamers Group, but uh, it, it's hard going. <laughs> so you got a hold of the second Gabriel Knight? Got it. Got it a couple of weeks ago. I am really looking forward 
to having you play it and then giving us a review here on video because I would love to see you and Joel pair off on the details, you know, favorite parts, little bits, stuff like that. God, it's been, since I played that game, it's been, uh, what year did I play that? I was like a junior in college. It was been since like 2001, 2002. I don't know that I remember everything about it. I remember we'll the big, to put in a spoiler warning. <laughs> I remember the big, the big things, uh, but um, hope I didn't spoil it for you too much uh, with my little story earlier. It was suitably vague, and I had and I had my headphones ready to rip off if anything got too spoilery. <laughs> um, but I know Pascal said he um, he was uh, going to be talking potentially about Gabriel Knight when it came to remakes. That's certainly been one of the more high-profile rem uh, game remakes we've had uh, recently. So I think that's probably a nice segue from this show and tell to uh, the remake special. Be before we do that, some, some other thoughts on Gabriel Knight. Um, I What I like about Gabriel Knight series so far is the three games are so different. Gabriel Knight 1, Sins of the Fathers, is my all-time favorite. There's no better adventure game out there than Gabriel Knight 1. Um, I enjoyed the, the three games of the Gabriel Knight series a lot. Um, two was a brilliant, wonderful game, without a doubt. Three was different. It, it, it lacked a bit due to this, we have to do something in 3D and so on, so we have to move to that standard. But what I liked is all the games look completely different, but they're still Gabriel Knight. No? So they're still about mystery. You, you have the characters, you have those Jane Jensen's powerful and great stories behind it. And I really enjoyed all the three. But they were all completely different compared to, to the parts before. No? And I, I enjoyed that one a lot. That was really nice. And funny thing is, and Joel mentioned the, the cat uh, moustache thing and so, there's a puzzle where you had not only make a moustache out of cat hair and, and stuff like that, totally ridiculous. So someone, it was, I think, Gabriel Knight 3 was the last adventure game that Sierra ever released. and. Um, there are some articles on the internet talking about the death of adventure genre and so and so they mentioned the puzzle as well, responsible for the death of adventure games because it is so ridiculous and stupid. But on the other hand, um, Gabriel Knight 3 had some of the best riddles in the adventure game history at all. The serpent, what is it, the serpent whoosh or so, so a, a longer... Um, the serpent whoosh, yeah, I, I remember, yes, yeah, you had to piece it together. A, Complex, huge puzzle in the game. This is this is so brilliant. It is so well um, with a lot of history and a lot of research you have to do and stuff. That is really so well designed. And that on on the one hand and on the other hand, something stupid like this cat moustache thing. That is ah, that is insane. That both of them are in one game, but it, it happens. And I mean, okay, it's an adventure game, and we know they have to. Create something that has never it's not been. Not an adventure game before. until you have, unless you have at least ten percent absolutely stupid puzzles. Exactly. And and another nice nice fact is where I think um, where you see how how um, how to play with my limited English skills. Um, the the power the power of retailers or something like that. You know the the subtitle of the game. Um, Blood of the Sacred, Blood of the Damned. Exactly. So um, Walmart, as I read somehow, somewhere, um, made Sierra to remove the subtitle from the boxes <laughs> because they don't... Is that don't an embossed box you've got there, Pascal? 
That is that is a, an US version with flip cover. Thing. Oh, because I've got the Euro version here, and it's just flat. Right. I have the yeah. I have the German version and the European version as well. And yeah, the the US one is the, the nicer one. I need a copy of that box. In, in that case, and so Walmart actually made Sierra to produce boxes specially for Walmart without the subtitle and say, "Come on, you see the power of 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 shops like Walmart." I mean, Walmart. I'm not I'm not an American, of course, so I don't know if there's anything else in Walmart, but they had the power to do so, ne? and they said, "Hey, we don't put that on the shelf," and Sierra did so. I haven't found uh, a box without it so far. I'm still looking for that one, but it, it's there. Walmart made Sierra to change the cover design. I suppose this was around the time uh, around the time when America was getting it was having one of its minor satanic panics because okay. you know. Uh, yeah. It was uh, the same time as like uh, what was that rap group that came out the Cop Killer CD. Walmart uh, started. Like, uh, that, it wasn't a rap. It was their their body. Count their Ice Tea's metal band uh, I, because that's my other nerd area. I could tell you more than you needed to know about that. But well, whenever yeah. that stuff started coming out, Walmart went nuts with like all the CDs you bought in Walmart were edited, all the bad words were taken out of them, and okay. the Did someone just invoke the spirit of Two Life Crew? I, that that's where all that stuff all happened to start. But you also had a friend of mine wrote a book about uh, about this called the Columbine Effect, and I can't can't actually remember when that uh, when that was. So I may be hideously off, but that kind of prompted a lot more uh, a lot more sort of visible visible censorship of game and mu game and music. Not actually the content, but the boxes of all things. It was the CD packaging and the game packaging. So it, it, it's fine it's fine if your if your game or your music ad ad advocates murder, death, and Satanism. Just you know make make sure the front has fluffy bunnies on it. It'll be cool. Can't think of a better segue than fluffy bunnies and Satanism than uh, <laughs> it is Easter. It is the season to go into our next topic, which is about uh, re-releases and reboots and how we feel about those. Um, I guess I'll lead off with um, um, I actually don't own a lot of them. Um, I guess because I've played played I played so many games when I was younger that. I don't typically revisit games, so um, I don't really own many, but uh, I don't really necessarily have a problem with them, only because in the case of Gabriel Knight, which is probably the most recent really high-profile one, um, those older Sierra games can be a little difficult to get running on a modern machine, especially with our monitors all being wide widescreen now, and you know how it's hard to get them to not stretch the image and all that stuff. So in a way, those remakes can be kind of useful, but in the same token, you're losing, you're losing your Tim Curry and you're losing a lot of 
the cool comic book art that kind of made Giver and I one such a special kind of experience. So um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how I really feel about it necessarily. Maybe you guys can help me formulate a better opinion. I um, this year I've been mostly playing remakes, which I'll go into later. But I really enjoyed the uh, replaying Gabriel Knight. Um, sort of, the, I played. I, I last played Gabriel Knight one in, uh, one of my teens, and I found it really well researched. Now, actually, there's some elements of the, of the sort of plotting and the narrative, and the character uh, the characterization of, of say African American characters. I mean, uh, uh, that. Uh, Characterization's great. Everyone's a fully rounded character. It's just a bit unfortunate, unfortunate that you've, uh, you know, you've got you've got the uh, uh, got the black female love a uh, love interest Vudienne, who, Vudienne, who uh, doesn't uh, doesn't who comes this close to joining the forces uh, jo joining the forces of light and then obviously falls uh, spoiler alert mute now um, falls down a gaping chasm. Okay, we're clear. No uh, no spoiler. Spoiler done. But. Um, Getting that opportunity to reassess the plot was really nice, uh, and I thought the voice cast was generally very strong. Apparently, they hired the same studio that the voice cast for A Wolf Among Us. Don't make a face, Pascal. Uh, but um, and it did remind me of what a very good game it was, particularly as there were sort of a few extra details added in. What I didn't like was, and I liked the background art being uh, the backgrounds were really nicely done. I thought the uh, character art was a little weak. I was very besotted with uh, Tim Cur Tim Curry's cod New Orleans accent, even though it was even though it wasn't a very realistic New Orleans accent. Um, but uh, so I re so I think that's probably the thing I missed most. Uh, but the switch to 3D character models was disconcerting. I thought the backgrounds were generally improved. Uh, however, the cutscene. Uh, Hand-drawn artwork again was inferior to the original for my uh, for my money, but they did fantastically well given the budget they didn't have, and I think it stands a good chance of reintroducing the game to uh, to a new new audience. I may be biased because I helped fund it, but uh, I was very happy with it. I sat down and I played it solidly for a series for a couple of over a few days until it was finished. Well, it seemed like it was. I haven't played it, so this is you know coming from out of my butt, I guess. But um, I, it feels like it's at least keeping true to the um, original roots. Um, when you look it's at something, it's like a scene-to-scene scene remake, basically, uh, basically different, vo a different voice cast, slight tweaking. Oh, and there's these lovely uh, optional, ex optional extra where in every scene you can uh, you can click into a book and you get to see a load of the old design notes from the original game and a lot of the sketch art. And uh, photo, uh, photos of the team and early voice early voice recordings from both versions. So I think it really knows that its audience is a lot of retro enthusiasts, the people who loved the game in the past. So sorry it's to interrupt. Funny, like it's an interesting um, um, mirror image of what I think is going on with this this King's Quest reboot, which um, I'm not 100% sold on. I've, I've kind of commented negatively on it, but the the older I get now, the more kind of uh, soft I'm getting to, you know, I'm like, well, whatever. If it's a if it's a fun game, you know, maybe it'll maybe it'll just blow my doors off. I don't know. It, it, it just watching the videos of it right now just aren't exactly um, knocking my socks off. Let's put it that way.
Yeah, I can agree, and uh, it, especially at the Sierra reboot part with King's Quest. I think this is maybe maybe a new topic and an own topic for, where we can talk all night about ne, about the Sierra coming back of Sierra of, as a brand and the games they start with. I mean, there are already, I guess, two games released and nobody's really talking about them. It has nothing to do with Sierra games. As the, I mean, I have mixed feelings. Sierra was one of the big, biggest, pub, it was the biggest publisher at the time, ne, releasing games and it not only released adventure games, we all know they released a lot, released a lot of games I didn't play, uh, I didn't play back then and I wouldn't play today. So um, I judged something that, that was existing back then already. But the games they already started with, this, the two casual ones, um, I have, have not seen them, have not played them, and this is not where I would, I would personally want to see Sierra come back with. And the King's West topic, I mean, we're not talking about remake, no, we're talking about reboot of the, of the series. I don't like what I see so far. I don't think that is something I would want to have um, as, as a King's Quest name. It, it could be a funny casual game, as it seems, but it could be anything. They can put any name on this type of game. It don't have to be King's Quest, but that is my my personal opinion. And because I enjoy the game series back then so much, so I would like to see something familiar, not, not something what, what they are doing right now under an indie label. Um, but we will see. We have to wait until the game is out. And remakes, talking about Gabriel Knight, I don't enjoy that one so much because why? Gabriel Knight 1 is my all-time favorite adventure game, so no remake can possibly honor that because the game is so perfect, I think, um, as it was back then. It is just... Also, we are the same people as we were back then when we played it. You, you exactly. can't reproduce that youthful innocence. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You won't. I won't judge a game like Able Knight that is my favorite today because it's, of course, has has so many not so nice features. Some puzzles are incredibly hard. I mean, you're not able to. I, I guess I never finished it by myself. I was not was not able to. Not only to my limited English skills, but uh, because the puzzles were some of them were really really hard. I co-played as well. Yeah, and and so I wouldn't judge it the same way like it did back then, but it's still my best one. And mention the characters like Tim or voices like Tim Curry or so. If you don't get someone back on the remake, so it, it suffers automatically from that. And it, so the, the remake is already always not so good as as the original. But on the other hand, I mean, if we look at Sierra, they did it back then already. No, they they did remakes for all the first entries of their most known series, Police Quest, Larry, Space Quest, Quest for Glory, um, all of them have an, 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 an remake, and later remake of Sierra, and um, I like Mixed Mother Goose got remade three times, didn't it? Pardon me? Mixed Up Mother Goose got remade three times. Exactly, Mixed Up Mother Goose was one of the examples with the most remakes, with some major um, enhancements, some minor enhancements, but exactly, and but especially for the like like take police quest or space quest or so. What I liked about the remakes, it um, I like the original one, the first one more, but nowadays the remakes are easier to access and easier to to play them again. They have like you know, mouse interface. They are 
point and click. You don't have to to write anything, and so, and they don't have some design errors from from the originals. Um, so from a we play perspective or so perspective, I would uh, prefer the remakes today. And the time back then, when I uh, a few years ago, when I started again playing a few Sierra games, talking about those, I played the remakes, you know, and I did not start with the original ones because they are think like bit bit easier to access nowadays and and to have a look at. I really yeah. thought the remake of Quest for Glory or Hero Quest, whatever you want to call it, yeah. was quite. Quite amazing because uh, I can't think of many games. There are a few that, that had that interesting kind of claymation um, aesthetic to them. Um, was was really nice. I really, I actually really prefer the remake of that particular game over the original one, which was sort of standard-looking um, early '80s Sierra title, and the VGA remake really injected it with some real um, real style. I think. Exactly, and it feel, it feels a bit like like a new game. No? I mean, it was for for sure. You know the story, you know the characters, but the art, the 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 yeah, the look and feel was was new, it was fresh, it was enhanced with sounds and animations and so. So it definitely and they put a lot of nice additional extra input. Some are not only remakes, some are more no? and enhanced with with new scenes or features. And I liked that a lot. And so I, I don't think that remakes is a, a topic of today or so that we see so many remakes. We don't see so many remakes. If if I can talk for the games I have in, in view or play these days, and um, we had that all the time. And some were okay, some were not. So I'm I'm totally fine with with everything. And as KG mentioned, um, what what Gabriel Knight does maybe is no, it addressed the new players. I mean, not all are like as old as Joe is, so um, so no one already knows the games from back then. And so if you want to induce someone today in, in such a series, no, so it could, could be a great start. Why not? And if that is, is the result that like Gabriel Knight get a lot of attention and um, Activision with the new Sierra reboot decides to, to create a new Gabriel Knight game, then, then the remake then be my guest, of course. I was about to say, Quest for Glory, uh, Heroes Quest for Glory, shall we say, is one of the few games where I would actually play both the uh, sort of standard AGS ori original and the, and the enhanced VGA version, because I think both of them have their merits. And that's partly because I'm a real sucker for being able to type in games. Um, but uh, this has been very much my year of playing reboots and remakes. I mean, most, most of my gameplay hours, it, 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 except the Hearthstone, which is basically a shameful addiction, which I should not be admitting to, uh, have been sunk into uh, Shroud of the uh, Shroud of the Avatar, which okay is is a spiritual successor to the Ultima series, but I've uh, invested a fair amount of time in that, and I played uh, through uh, the Gabriel Knight re uh, the Gabriel Knight remake, and I have been playing a few other things as well, and what I'm currently playing through is uh, well not this because. Yeah. Uh, I know we're past Joe and Tal, but this is the original version of Grim Fandango. Now, I never played this at time of release, and it got hyped up, not least of all because it was pretty much impossible to get to run on modern computer systems. And you know what gamers are like if they can't get something. It gets mythologized. Again, it was one of those last, the last hurrahs of adventure gaming. And it was heralded as being incredibly high quality, despite having a, a, a control system that 
it was basically an homage to the Marquis de Sade. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> It's uh, it's it's heralded as a great, and that's partly because it was so inex it was it's so inaccessible to people wanting to replay it. I think now, it was re it was re-released, and it's a very end. Basically, what's been changed is it's been up uprated, so you can play it on a 2K screen, and it looks really sweet. Uh, they've got, you they you can now use a mouse with it. I am so grateful for that. I find the driving sequences where you have to use keyboard controls are. Frustrating, uh, frustrating enough. Uh, so I can't imagine having to uh, st having to steer Manny in it. And I can very uh, very much see why it's why it's regarded as a classic. The quality of voice acting is astonishing. The themes, the setting, that sort of noir th uh, noir uh, noir come um, Aztec comes Mexican Day of the Dead thing. In terms of setting, it's brilliant. And unfortunately. It's big downside, uh, which I was warned about by uh, by a friend who played who played it at time release and was a huge Lucas fan, um, is that its puzzle construction is you know it, it is in places strong but tends to lack internal logic. Um, it's it's extremely hard in places. It, I mean, really extremely hard. And I'm good at illogical uh, illogical adventure game puzzles. Maybe I just don't think along the right lines here. Um, but yeah, it is hard, and the puzzles don't necessarily have that much internal consistency. And I wish I could come up with a particular, a particular example for you. I mean, there's an odd, there's a fairly yes, here's a great one. Um, there is uh, there is um, one section again. Spoiler alert! But if you're playing the thing, you might want to know this. Uh, there's a section where you have to take a mold of your own t of your own teeth because they're apparently needed to log on to a computer network. Yeah, I know. Um, and you can you can find some car filling uh, car uh, car filler, which obviously is the exact material you choose to make a dental mold out of. But you haven't got anything to make it in. As it turns out, if you punch your colleague's punching bag four times, then his um, uh, mouth guard, which you which you don't even really see when it's in, when you're in the, when you're in the room, it's a very, it's a fairly small spot a spot on the screen. Uh, falls down, and you can use that as a dental mold. And okay, yes, it's kind of logically consistent, but that whole punch this, uh, punch this thing to get this uh, multiple times without any indication that it's making any difference, in order to get this thing that you can't even really see. I mean, you do see the guy wearing a mouth guard earlier, in fairness, but it that's a fairly early game puzzle, and the game actually gets easier and more logical as you get into the second part. And I think putting that kind of uh, wall up in early game is something that's characteristic of older games that you see less of now. People, um, current, uh, current games seem to have more of a notion of a fair difficulty curve. Again, because, that people, because they relatively cost less compared to income and inflation. And so they are more of a throwaway entertainment, as opposed to being a significant chunk of your monthly budget that you want to last you for hours and hours and hours, no matter how hard or sadistic they might be. But I think that's actually some uh, an instance where a, it's a good game, and I'm enjoying playing it. But uh, it's kind of sh uh, sh uh, because it is so faithful. It's it's uh, it's uh, just an improvement uh, and re-release for modern systems. It kind of shows up some ways in which. It, the fail, the, some of the failings of, of, of the first release. Sorry, I rattled on for quite a bit there. No, I found it interesting. Like, yeah. 
I remember I remember having a problem with that exact puzzle. <laughs> it's not very fair. it's not very very fair puzzle. I got I got your point and and I agree to that. But with, especially with that remake, I have mixed feelings again because um, the Grim Fandango it is it was already playable with with mouse support. There was a mod um, introducing mouse support for Grim Fandango and so and so when when Double Fine announced that that they are working on a Grim Fandango remake, I was oh wow and. I was expecting something like the the remakes of Monkey Island one and two, the special editions, which I really really like. They with the the second remake is 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 bit, um, better than than the first one, I guess. Um, but but both both are really nice because what I like about them is they keep the the spirit and the first one, the, the original one is already is is, is included still. Now you can switch in real time um, to the old version and the new version. I that is really brilliant um, development stuff. I like those too. Yeah. I played them on mobile and it was great. It was wonderful. You can play the, the old version with, with voice acting and, and stuff like that. So this is really, really, really brilliant. And I was expecting something like that because Grim Fandango is one of the one of the adventure games of all time. Ne? So if you talk about the top 10 of adventure games, Grim Fandango is, all, is, is always a part of it. So I want um, personally, if a game like this gets a remake. I want to have the best possible remake that is that is ever um, um, achievable. And to be honest, the Grim Fandango remake, it looks like another cheap way how Double Fine gets a bit more money because of their mismanagement of their how they spend too much money on small on, on certain projects. That is my Why my do you hate Double Fine? I've never asked. Like, yeah, because they, they, they ruin so much. I mean, Broken Age is nothing they promised so far, and it's, it's insane how much how long they need for such a game and stuff, and how many money it costs. Other other developers would love to get that kind of budget for an adventure game. And if you if we look especially into Kickstarter, what kind of adventure games were already made and delivered? Some of them, in my opinion, looked looked way better than Broken Age with with a percentage of that budget. But that's another topic for another talk about stuff. Think, and um, so what I'm coming to is, I would like to see a, a, a great Grim Fandango remake, and they didn't deliver it. Uh, delivered it, and they they talked about so many stuff. They they um, fully new soundtrack with an orchestra. And they lied. They lied on a lot of things. If you li listen to the music, and some guys did that on the internet, you can uh, can do a research on that one. They 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 haven't improved the sound at all. They do some. The main theme or so was was um, recorded by an orchestra, but they talked about they did it with the whole whole thing, and they didn't. And so they they promised a lot and delivered less. And that is what I don't like about the remake. And it, again, it is nice if this is accessible by by newer players, younger players. Ne? So is this the latest version? It's okay with me, but I really heavily disappointed about that remake. I don't don't like it that much because again, Double Fine said, "Hey, something big is coming," and at the end, I say, "Where where are the the improvements?" They did so many errors. Um, with Lightning or so, there are so many errors. If you look, play the the remake, Lightning is is 
is completely messed up and, and a lot of other things are messed up too. So I don't need I don't need remakes like that to be honest. You say the lighting is messed up in a lot of scenes? Yeah, the, yeah, the lighting, I, I'm not sure how to uh, explain that one. So they use real lighting sources in the game, but the, they, they didn't work uh, didn't didn't work on the characters as they should. So there are some, some errors. If the character moves with the game, lightning is, is mixed, uh, messed up in a lot of scenes and stuff. But the lighting was one of the main features of that remake, was it not? Don't tell me. KG? The aspect ratio was, was messed up as well. The aspects of the side because they still have the 4 to 4 to 3 aspect and not uh, 16 to 9 and stuff. So, so the many things. Yeah, but I don't want to go too, too detailed to here. So I don't like it. My ignorance of don't. Broken Age is profound, so I can't add anything here. <laughs> well, I know that I'm looking forward to Ultima Ascendant that is not going to be a spiritual successor, but mm. is actually going to be Ultima Underworld. Underworld so, Ascendant. They can't use the Ultima word. They, I thought they had the license. Uh, I thought Underworld... Uh, no, Underworld Ascendant is still Underworld Ascendant, unless something's changed sort of in the last... Yeah, I guess so, yeah. So is that a spiritual successor or not? No, no, it's, it's definitely a proper successful successor. As it turned out, turns out they have uh, rights. To, they retain rights to most uh, to most of the plot elements as well, I believe. Uh, so they're not in the set. They're not in the same boat that Richard Garriott is with the main with the main Ultima line. But then I can't understand why they would change everything around to all these new factions and new things like that. I wanted to I'm, go I'm, visit. You know, the Knights of the Crooks on Sada. I wanted to. You know, I wanted to show up as an old knight again. I think I think there's some stuff they don't have right. I, it's they're definitely tre treading a very fine legal line, and I really wish EA would just release the rights, and then we could get rid of the bloody elves. Which, sorry, I I, I don't mean to be prejudiced, but elves, seriously. What do you have against elves? Hey, it's perfectly justifiable. <laughs> <laughs> Back off, Garrity. I'm uh, I'm quite looking forward to that game too, only because um, Ultimate Underworld one and two were two games that um, like really blew my head off um, when I played them for the first time, and uh, I'm a little app. I mean, me and you talked a lot when the Kickstarter was going on because I waffled back and forth about whether to um, kickstart that thing, but eventually ended up doing it, and um, I hope that they don't let me down because um, I uh, what I've seen so far isn't just blowing my head off like the old ones did. Agreed. I'm I'm patiently waiting to see something that's going to just immerse me into that story. I'll give but them so far because they haven't they haven't really shown anything, so I'll right. definitely give them a bit of doubt. But so far, I haven't seen anything that makes me go, I'm going to go back to that world again. The only thing that makes me feel better about that whole thing is that uh, in my history of playing games, the one company that consistently delivered something completely original and completely awesome was Looking Glass Studios. They easily one of the best 
developers ever to live. Um, so if, with those folks behind it, um, I'm, I'm confident they'll come up with something special. I agree. Yes, System Shock. System Shock 2 is one of the scariest games I've ever played in my entire life. Here one, of the, one of the best games I ever played, System Shock. Yeah. Me too. I got I got that copy two days ago, so by accident it's now on my desk. Uh, that's why I'm able to pull it's very it out shiny. quickly. Yeah, it is. One of the best games ever designed. I personally like that one. Dice X series um, was was wonderful as well, but um, I prefer System System Shock before Deus Ex. I love that one. I love both of them, but man, System Shock Two had some serious creep factor. Man, I mean that game. Had atmosphere just coming out of its rear end. It was something else, scary as hell. Yeah. But that you was a game which started a lot of spiritual sequels. I think. I mean, you've got the whole you've got the whole argument that uh, um, the uh, the bio the bio, whole Bioshock series would never have existed without the dual without the dual influence of Bioforge and System Shock. I mean, Elder Scrolls and the I am I am a massive fan of the Bioshock series as well. They're completely different types of games. They're spiritual successors only in that they share the shock title, and they're about a lone person wandering around in a dystopian, you know, weird kind of um, environment. But those games too share a, a similarity in storytelling and um, mood that is very relevant, I think, to System Shock. I, I really like. Bioshock 2 was maybe a little weak, but Bioshock 1 was amazing. Bioshock Infinite was also amazing. I love both those games. Totally agree. The world they created with Bioshock, this is so powerful and deep. This is amazing what they characters, the world. This is really the story that is really, really, really amazing. I liked the first one the most. Um, to be honest, um, but the other ones are, are very good as well. But you mentioned something, Joel, I would like to, to address, and I agree on that one, your expectations uh, on the new Ultima. So I'm not, not deep into Ultima, but this, uh, I want to go into the expectations thing, on, like on Kickstarter and others. That is, that is the thing I have, or the most concern I have with most modern remakes of really old games, because um, no of that, none of them can can met my expectations. That is that is the thing. Um, it, it is just just to me. I know I have to lower my expectations. But if I talk about uh, King's Quest, this was one of the most known adventure game series back then. King's Quest Six was the highlight of the of the uh, adventure game song with, with fantasy telling and and technology wise and and puzzle wise and whatsoever. And now they, they have an indie studio. I don't have anything about indie studios. I mean, we have a lot of good examples which creating really good games. But this this specific studio creating um, uh, developing the new King's Quest has never created an adventure game before. They have delivered like two or three casual games so far, which are okay, which are enjoyable. No, nothing about that. But it's it's not it's not enough for me that that the the, the boss of the company said. I like King's Quest a lot, and I played all of them. I say, hey, wonderful. There are a million others who did that, but they don't have any idea about game development. Um, so I don't want to judge them their, their development skills, but it is a small studio from like three to 
five people or so, and they try to create something. And what I what I don't like most about it is then the community talks about, hey, we can be. It is good that Kingsworth comes back, and we have to be we have to be thankful that it comes back. And this is a new, fresh um, interpretation of how Kingsquest uh, about new Kingsquest game would look like if if Roberto would do it, and so. And I said. I, I can't follow that kind of argumentation, to be sure, because I disagree in a lot of of of, of ways. Because I would like to see an an development studio here, which already has a background on making adventure games, on how puzzles are interpreted, how adventure game, what is the spirit of an adventure game, what is an adventure game, and so. And so I'm not just there and say, yeah, Kings vs. Back. I'm more like, hmm, who who's doing it and and why? So to be honest, um, somehow I think. Some games don't need a remake at all, just personally, because I think they will never meet my expectations. Taking Mobius, um, the first of, of Jane Jensen, um, before they did the, the Gabriel Knight remake with the new adventure game Mobius, the story is great. The story is, is good behind the game, but I think the game is poor. It The, the development studio did an okay job, but not a really wonderful job. It, it lacks. Did Fingers Pride do that one in house, or did they uh, put did they put that one out? Because I remember uh, the one I uh, the one of hers uh, I played. Um, oh damn it! The one set in Oxford. Um, I'll I'll get back to, uh, I'll get back to you where she worked with did uh, did uh, Entertainment. Uh, Grey Matter, sorry, uh, that was that was a fa I think that I think Grey Matter was really fantastic. I've not played Mo uh, played Mobius, but wasn't that pretty much the first thing Pinkerton Road developed in house? Yeah, they they had already development studios working for them, but hired hired guys. Um, yeah. not, they changed. I believe with Grey Matter, they changed the development team at one point. So. If, when I remember right, um, it were mostly some some European developers. I have forgotten which which it was, which they were. Well, I, I got mine from from the Didalic team, but uh, but uh, it's it's possible that they were, they were probably just doing distribution. Thanks for listening to the Big Box PC Game Collectors Podcast. You can find us on Facebook. You can also watch the original video version of this podcast on our YouTube channel, which includes the show and tell segments. 